Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, he's Patrick, and you probably haven't heard from us in a couple of weeks, frankly speaking, because the Redskins really weren't worth talking about given the way everything's going for the initial part of the 2019 season. And in fact, the only reason we're doing this podcast is to pour one out for another head coach who bites the dust in the Dan Snyder era with the Redskins finally putting Jay Gruden out of his misery, officially firing him from the position of head coach this past Sunday night, Monday morning, however you want to look at it. Um, Patrick, we were joking about this way back in August when we did our season preview podcast and here we are. Yeah. I, I didn't think he would, uh, I didn't think he would get canned this fast. Uh, to be honest, I think if we, if we look back at our season predictions, I had the team going six and 10. Um, Cause I was just a believer. We had too much talent to be this incredibly bad. This incompetent. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it got to the point where players can say what they want. You know, I think it was a rich Taylor say, you know, don't listen to what players say, watch what they do. Uh, and I just, I'm not saying the team quit on Jay. I don't think, I don't think Jay quit on the team. I think it was just a matter of like, you know, we'll get into culture, but I just think the players didn't give a shit anymore. Uh, and I think Jay, did it probably his best, but at the same time, he, he knew it was coming too. So once they drafted Haskins, he knew he was getting fired. Um, so what difference does it make? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, it shouldn't come as any surprise. Um, you know, it was a little surprising in the preseason, or I should even say in the summer when, like, the Vegas odds were coming out and he was, like, number one to get fired. And then when you sit back, six, they were yeah. I think they were spot on. And it, you sit back and you look at it and you were like – is he really the one like on the hottest seat and maybe outside of like Dan Quinn in Atlanta, who I believe is next. I, he's gotta be next. It's really, really, he's gotta be the next shoe to drop. Um, I thought Jason Garrett would be up there just because Dallas, um, of course, then again, he could be head coach for life and I wouldn't be, pro- I wouldn't be surprised. But when you sit back and look at it, you're like, yeah, I guess Gruden really would be, especially if things start to go sour. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit before the season started that there's plenty of reasons to go it could go sour, namely Haskins among all the other shit that's going on. And then uh, there were the videos on social media right after the game on Sunday with the cavalcade of their black escalades storming out of the stadium. Like usually and so heavy, hanging out for a couple hours. He just like left right over, like right after the game was over, basically storming out like a tantrum. And everyone kind of figured that that was the writing on the wall. Like it's, it's done now. Um, yeah. What did, I, I, we'll, we'll touch on this in a little bit because there's plenty to talk about with Snyder and Allen, but what a fucking dick move to ha- bring somebody in at 5 a.m. and to fire yeah, them. And, this isn't the first time they've done that. They, they've done this every time. In fact, Spurrier just said, fuck it, and went and played golf. <laughs> right. And, like, uh, that was my thing. I'm like, wouldn't you sleep in? Like, were you yeah. – like, if it, – it, it's not like Jay Gruden's saving his reputation for another team because every other team knows what a dick organization we have. So they're going to be like, yeah, it was an ass move to, you know, call someone at 5 a.m. to get fired. Like, no one's going to blame you for that. It's not going to look unprofessional because his entire outfit looks unprofessional. Yeah, the I've read it. I don't know who wrote the story, but someone wrote a story about kind of Jay's last few hours. You know, he, he actually went to the office at midnight so he could pack his own office. You know, he, he had been told to meet at five, which he knew immediately meant he was being fired. Uh, but he, he slept in his office the night before. Like, what kind of back-ass organization does that? Just tell him, hey, look, you're fired. Like, why, why do they wait to, to Monday morning? Just do it Sunday, move on. Instead, Jay was forced to come in, pack his own stuff, because let's be honest, they would have just thrown it on the street because that's what the skins do. 
Uh, it's funny you mentioned Jason Garrett. There was a point in time, and I probably even would have said this early on this year, where I thought, because it is well-known Dan looks up to Jay – or not Jay, um, Jerry. Jerry Jones, yep. Um, I thought some odd way that – and because Gruden was such a good yes man for the organization, that he was just going to keep Jay in there no matter how bad we were. Um, I don't think Dan – and we'll get into the obviously. I don't think they realize how much of a company man Gruden was. He was the one standing up there. You know, like we're talking about pouring it out. If it wasn't him, it was Doug Williams, and they definitely wanted Jay up there because you know God knows what Doug was going to say. But I mean, this is a guy that, for all intents and purposes, has has taken all the blame. He kind of shrugs it off. He makes jokes about. It. He's kind of you know kumbaya almost in a little bit of ways. Would love to slam beers with this guy, and. You know, now they're going to have Bill Callahan in there, who's probably going to be much more no-nonsense. And I'm, I'm very interested to see how this dynamic goes because I think Jay personally was very good at being just the punching bag for both Bruce and Dan. And I think that dynamic is going to change uh, very quickly. So I'm interested to see that. The yes-man um, dynamic punching bag is a really astute point. I think, like, and again, we'll, we'll touch on this in a little bit, but, like, no matter – Every coach that they've brought in, they've wanted to have their hands on a little bit in this process. And I think I was going back and I was, you know, reviewing all the coaches that this team has had in it for so long. And the only coach, think about this, the only coach in his tenure since Dan Snyder bought the team that's been to the playoffs twice is Joe Gibbs. And I think it's not so much that Snyder and, and, uh, and Bruce Allen meddled with Joe Gibbs or Bruce Allen wasn't even here. It was Vinny Serrato at that time. So excuse me. So yeah. it's not that it's not even that Dan and Vinny interfered. Vinny was hired twice. Yeah, and he's got a better record than Bruce, which just speaks so so loudly, volume so loudly of 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 Bruce Allen. But I think that more than anything else, there was two parts to Gibbs. Number one, Gibbs was very sharp at being able to manage upward because Gibbs manage was able to manage Jack Kent Cook and Jack Kent Cook as beloved as he is here. I mean, rightfully so. Jack Kent Cook was an ornery ass too, but like he was an ornery ass kind of in a good way. Whereas Dian- Snyder is just this petulant little three-year-old. When it's all said and done. Cook, stayed, Cook for on, he had a GM and he stayed out of the way. Exactly. Right. He got pissed he, off well, no, he, and he tried to fire he, Gibbs, but he, he was, he stayed out of the way. He knew when to kind of be the dick and kind of prod things. There was always the famous thing. I think it was before, I can't remember, it was the 87th, no, it was the 91 season. And Cook, like Joe Gibbs always tells the story where he, like Cook basically says like, you haven't won in four years. What are you doing? Like, why shouldn't I fire you? And Gibbs basically was like, look, if I don't win in the next couple of years, you can go ahead and fire me. And like, of course the 91 season is what was what it was. Right. But I think Best Cook, team ever. Cook was that, whereas Snyder is just this like completely fucking, like I said, petulant child, Napoleon syndrome minus any semblance of military talent whatsoever. Um, but Gibbs so knew how to sure. manage. Gibbs knew how to manage upward. Number one, to how to kind of control Snyder. But the number two, Gibbs was the only figure that Snyder would actually kind of quote unquote bow down to or respect. I don't think there's any other figure. I can't think of really anyone who Snyder is going to bring in and look up to like the, the stories, like the, the social media report that came out with LeVar today where people like, you know, Mr. Snyder demanding him to be called Mr. Snyder. Don't even look him in the eye, which like, it's just so beyond comprehension. You're, you're right. Like the, it's well known that Gibbs or not Gibbs Snyder um, looks up to ex Redskins. That's, that's who he is. That's what he does. That's what he grew up with to a fault. Um, 
to a fault. And I, one of my, I don't know if you watched the SVP rant from the one big thing last night, but it was one of my favorite one of my favorite lines was when he got to Jim Zorn, he was like, and the guy who just was there and no one else wanted the job. <laughs> yes. I was like, God damn it. Which so literally funny. was that. It was <laughs> the he greatest. He was an offensive coordinator. Before the greatest story coach. of all time that they were so going to hire Fossil and so the, the, they saw the fan out, the outcry against Fossil and they were like, fuck it. No one else wants the job. Let's just give it to Zorn. Yeah, that worked out. Hip, hip, I hooray. Mean, incompetence at its finest. That was a we were six and two. We we were six and two. Six and two. Um, and then uh, he won six games again. I think the rest of the time he was there. So next year was the swinging and, gate. Yeah, he went six and eighteen. I think in his last twenty four games. Um, hip hip hooray! And then, and then the end of Zorn comes with Bruce Allen. That's when Allen comes in because he fires. He's the one who fires Zorn. They put their brainchild together to go get Mike Shanahan. Now the rest of the NFL, which is all, you know. Basically, you got Kyle, you got McVeigh, you got Lafleur. These like young brass, uh, brash coaches changing the dynamic of offenses in the NFL. All of them were on our staff, and we didn't know what the hell to do with them. And like we had so much talent on that staff, and we were three and thirteen. You think it's coaching? Like it is so top to starts right here, up here. It's unbelievably bad. And I think you know to get back to Gruden because that's where kind of where we started with this. The thing that the thing that sucks is. And look, Jay's not a head coach. He's not. Let's just call a spade a spade here. He's a great coordinator, schemes a lot of guys open. Um, you know, he's going to have his pick of jobs uh, in a year. And he's got the best job in the world. He's making $5 million off Snyder and not working. Um, but my point is, is like, despite all of that, you see the player interviews. You see even the players that, like, quote, unquote, were pissed about the lack of, like, uh, detail and all the stuff that you know all always comes out with this after a coach is fired. They all res- they all liked him. You have Dunbar putting out Instagram posts. You have you have you know Thompson breaking down the tears uh, to the media. This guy was was beloved, and that, I think it gets back to my like punching bag theory, where I think the Redskins are going to miss him. Uh, look, and which is weird to say because we're never going to win with him. Like call it, it's the reality of it. He's not that great of a head coach. Um, but he meant more to the organization than I think Dan and Bruce truly understand. That's my thought. Yeah. It's um, Mike Lombardi talks about this former NFL GM. He runs the podcast. He was on the ringer for a while. He has his own podcast, which that is dude, okay. That dude hates the Redskins. And he but he, ironically, he grew up a Redskins fan. You know, like, but like the, the junkies and whoop. so he has this great passage in his book about, uh, I think it's called great iron genius. And he always talks about this one page where basically it's Dan's never this, read it the hypothetical situation where the GM and the owner are sitting down to dinner and talking about why the team sucks. And the GM's like, where well, I gave him all this talent. And the owner's like, well, I gave him all this money and everything is the coach's fault. And the two of them are never looking at each other and saying, what did they actually do wrong? Or that, no, you didn't give him all this talent or you gave him a bunch of pieces that don't work together. And you as the owner don't know how to run your goddamn organization. And I think that is a microcosm is exactly Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. They just live in this ignorant bubble where the, the, the fact that they keep going da- back to the six and three start from last year, where everyone knew deep, deep down that it was such, such a smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Uh, you know, start. And like, we knew we weren't a good team. We knew, I mean, fuck, we knew if we, if the other team scored the first points, we were going to lose. I mean, that's what happened. All six wins we, that. we scored first, right? Like we couldn't even overcome a three, nothing or seven, nothing lead. So it was the finest smoke and mirrors job that we've ever done and they keep saying well we were six and three last year so we were clearly a contender it's like no you no you weren't right like 
are, are you serious? And they're just, <sighs> you know, I think that's the value of, um, of what Alex Smith was, you know, we're not going to get into that. I think the value of Alex Smith was he never turned the ball over. And then basically in the NFL, if you don't turn the ball over, you have a puncher's chance, you know? Yeah. Case um, first couple of games. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, a couple games. Yeah. You had, you literally have a puncher's chance. You get a couple breaks. You win a couple games. In our case, we did. Um, you know, we beat the Giants, like, I forget what it was, like, 17-10 or something on Peterson's, like, 70-yard touchdown run. That was one of the most horrific football games I've ever watched, and we, and we won. So, people, you know, that's what people will remember. But then we get into good teams, and you can see it started bogging down. Remember the Monday like, night we, game against New Orleans? Oh, yeah. You mean when Breeze broke every record and celebrated and beat us by 100? Yeah, broke? exactly. And we just got smoked start to finish. <laughs> the, uh, but the, the, like, thing to me is, like, to your point around the, the, you know, who's at dinner. I don't know if you've read some of Gruden's comments since he's been fired, but basically kudos to him for not throwing the skins under the bus because I, I definitely would have. Oh, yeah. He may, he may have with Diana Rossini, but who knows what was really going on there. Um, but, you know, he comes out and he says, look, it's tough when, you know, you're handed players and you don't get much say in, in who you're playing. Uh, and he laments the fact that obviously players keep getting hurt and et cetera and uh, stuff. I'm, I'm not surprised to see him lament, but the point is like, we have some talent. Allen's good. Payne's good. Um, that might be about it. I mean, like I said, you have Sheriff on, on the offense. Yeah, Sheriff, and, you, know, you know, and then Collins you got pieces. Is, Collins is bad. Nicholson's actually been pretty good. Dunbar's not yeah, he was. So one thing I want to make sure that gets lost in the, that doesn't get lost in this. And you, you alluded to the point about, the players didn't necessarily quit on, on Gruden. I know you missed large portions, if not the entirety of the Patriots game for understandable reasons, frankly speaking, not even one of, no, wanting to watch it. But the first oh. half, so full disclosure, and I was joking about this with my buddies, I've never done this before. I bet $100 on the New England's uh, point spread. You did? I did. I bet $100 on it, right? I was like 15 and a half points, which was the, the, the spread earlier in the week. I'm like, this is free money. I wasn't even getting oh, a yes. one-to-one return. I was getting one to like what a 90 cents return. What was the final line? Was it 16 and a half? I think it was 16. 16 or 17. I can't remember. I was like, oh, whatever. When I saw it open at 15 <laughs> at and a half. Like, I honestly at thought home. when the line came out, it was going to be like 27, 28, 29 points. Like I genuinely believe that. I'm not exaggerating because that's what it should have been. When I saw 15 and a half, I'm like, this is, this is, this is free money. I put $100 down. But where I'm going with this is that for the first half, it was dicey. It was 12-7 at halftime. Let's not forget that. They played really hard. The defense got the most pressure on the quarterback of any game that they played this season. They genuinely harassed Brady. They got pressure with just four guys and stopped the presses. Greg Minuski brought interesting line uh, pressure combinations from the front seven. I'm like, who are you and where did Greg Minuski go? They played really well. Of course, you're playing the Patriots, and of course, the dam is going to break at some point. But they did a, a – fairly decent job even through the third quarter until they you know brought in Stidham and everyone knew the game was over they didn't quit like against the Cowboys against the Cowboys not so much but against the Giants and against the Bears they quit they 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 folded over and they showed their belly like a you know like a passive dog but not against the Patriots and I think that says something and I, there was the story I think it was by Rhiannon Walker who basically said that you know Gruden a, a raw, last, raw speech. that last you know like I'm we're going down with the ship so to speak and you know I may not be here next week but until then I'm gonna keep working and I think that meant I'm something actually, I'm actually not sure I've heard a coach basically call me and be like look I'm getting fired so yeah I don't I can't let's think see, of anything let's see what happens I don't think I've ever heard that before um 
you know, it's, it, I think it's actually kind of funny. And to your point, I mean, it was 12, seven and a half. Um, Sims, we, we probably shouldn't have scored, but Sims broke that long touchdown run. Um, you know, Nicholson had that pick after the Tra- Trey Quinn fumble. Uh, and my, my favorite part of the whole game, you know, I've seen the highlights, I've read about it, but I think ultimately my favorite part is, you know, I don't know who leaked the videos of Jay. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but Gruden went up with both fingers, both middle fingers up saying, F you, I'm going with Colt. And you know, that was I, such an F you move, such a beautiful I know, I, F you I, move. I loved it. I mean, people were freaking out. Like, why are we starting Dwayne? Yada, yada, yada. I was like, who cares? We are not going to win regardless. Yeah. We are a bad tank. And he was going out with, with his guy. And, and, you know, whether or not we would be two and three, if Colt was healthy, nobody really knows. But the, more of the story to me is Gruden, unlike some of his other predecessors, said, F it, I'm going down with my boys. Um, yeah. And I think the team liked it. I really do. I think the team rallied around it, and that's why you had that good first half. Um, yeah. I, I, enormous credit. Just because we're not good. Enormous credit for him going down and be like, yeah, exactly what you said. Fuck it. Like, uh, I, if, I'm, if, you're, if, if I'm a dead man walking, then I'm going to walk the plank my way, and I'm going to start Colt McCoy on one leg or one and three quarters of another leg. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to march to the beat of your drum, you, you, know, you little pile of shit. <laughs> so it is very simple and very, very on point. Um, the, to transition a little, the, and like, I'm a big Gruden guy. I hope he goes and finds an awesome job. I really just genuinely like the dude. He, uh, he also got in his way when it comes to this own five star, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that he just wasn't a great head coach starting with, um, with his hiring of the defensive coordinators, you know, like, we had Wade Phillips twice, literally twice. And he didn't want someone basically waiting in the wings to become head coach. Right. Um, Obviously with Bowles and Greg Williams, Todd Bowles, that is like, they came in to give Minuski advice. Like that was Snyder being like, let's come, you know, let's do this. And then they probably felt uncomfortable and they're like, no chance. So they walked. So we're stuck with uh, Joel Berry, uh, who was atrocious. Uh, and Minuski, who might be worse, and you know, I, and I don't know. Hazlitt. It, oh, I forgot he. Had, I forgot he retained Hazlitt for a year. Yeah, just uh, for a year. Yeah. Oh, awful. Uh, but that's my, my point. Is like Jay did. Jay undid you know himself a little bit too. Um, and you know, we can get into the discipline and things like that. I, but I think it starts with how he hired, and because of that, injuries play into it a little bit. But we were never going to have a great defense, and that undermined him the whole time, literally from day one. Wade Phillips, uh, one year, and I think when we were pursuing the year when we were pursuing after firing Barry, I can't remember if it was while we were hiring for Barry's, uh, for the job that Barry took or while we were hiring for the, the job that Minuski eventually took, we interviewed Mike Pettin, and we are like, nah, not a good fit. And look what Mike Pettin's doing in Green Bay right now, right? Like Green Bay has one of the better defenses. Preston, Preston Smith has like seven sacks already. Preston and Zadarius Smith were both like reserve players at some level or like, you know, not yet emerge and like are the best pass rushing duo in the NFL. Like I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. I'm sure I'm missing somebody right now. It's late. Did you, but, did you see Preston Smith's interview after uh, he had like oh, yeah. two sacks and a pick when he was like, Oh, it's just, I'm in a better scheme. Yeah. They, they know how to use me better. I'm like, shocker. Yeah, I was shocker. just like, God damn it. Right. 
We are the master of taking a square peg and trying to jam into a round hole. That is exactly what we do over here. And then complain about the fact that we have a square peg. But never, ever, ever will we try to try do cut the hole into a square and put it in. No, God, that's not that's not how we do it. Um, I mean, we're still we're still dropping Kerrigan into coverage with like sprolls. Like, we're still doing that. Yeah, Kerrigan's slow. Kerrigan's a four-three defensive end that's playing in a three-four, and we're dropping him in coverage. Because that's what we got to do. The human lightning bug. Um, so yeah, so the hirings to me were, you know, what kind of did him in, and then obviously we were just never consistent with with Jay, right? I mean, it's we would we would beat the Raiders on Monday night first Sunday night football, whatever it was, by thirty. Turn around and lay an egg versus you know the Dolphins who or whoever. You know, so I mean, how many bad Giants teams have we lost to decisively? Like the Giants oh. are the only team who have been as consistently bad as us over the last three to five years, and yet they still found ways to beat the doors off us. Actually, a few times. You know, we like there's my fam- my favorite thing is the the Monday night game. I think it was Gruden's first year. I think it was Colt. I can't remember what year it was. I think it was Gruden's first year. Like when Monday night and Colt won the game. And like every single time you felt like yeah, the Cowboys game on Monday night. And like every single time we were like, all right, this is a, this is a stepping stone win. And this is a, you know, a momentum builder and stuff like that. We would take three steps back. And, you know, we, we had these spurts, right? Like the winning oh, streak right. in 2005, right? Which was just, which was great. There were people, it was a kind of an overlooked four game winning streak in 2016. Um, the five and two start to last year, right? Like we had these spurts where we looked like a good team, but then the bottom would fall out or then the clock would strike 12. And like, that was what was always really, really frustrating. It's that, you those know, are, we, those are adjustments to me though. I mean, like look at, look at all these games and, and just look at the second half scores in these games. Look at, you know, these spurts we have under Jay, people catch up to him and he doesn't adjust fast enough. That's exactly. He can't adjust in game and he can't adjust over the course of the season. And, you know, I wrote the story, I was working with another writer and we, we did this like NFL power, um, like NFL, like league pass watchability rankings. And he was giving me shit. He's like, how can you possibly put the Patriots at second? It's the same shit every week. And I'm like, look, I, I'm no Patriots fan. Right. But the beauty of Bill Belichick, and I think, I think his ability to be a game manager, as stupid as that sounds, is probably the most overlooked part of his excellence. Is like the guy never designs the same game plan twice, right? He's going to pull out shit. Like I think Adrian Peterson said really well, we were expecting this exotic defense that was going to confuse the shit out of us. And he brought base vanilla, nothing beat yourself. Right. Like he's like, I dare you to do anything outside of yourself. Cause you know, I know, I know you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. And I think, his ability to just kind of constantly evolve and stay one step ahead of like, all right, you think you're going to adapt to me and I'm just going to adapt one step further. I think that's something that people just tend to overlook amidst everything else with the Patriots and Belichick and with Gruden among a lot of football coaches, but Gruden is kind of the poster child of this. It's, it's just beat the same hammer into the same, the same nail with the same hammer into the same hole over and over and over again. And if you get challenged in that methodology, then you have no idea what to do. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that in a second. Did you, did you watch Belichick's press conference when he talked about Joe Gibbs' offenses? Yeah, it was the – he terrific. It's yeah, terrific. he was saying – it was basically – it's like it's seven plays, it's but they – Same need, plays. But, like, it, they, they formation you to death, and, like, it's just they would do the same thing over and over again, but he, they made he, it look in so many ways where you just couldn't adapt. He said they were, quote, impossible to game plan before because you knew what seven plays they were going to run, but they're running in formations that we hadn't seen in two or three years. Yes. So every week we were showing running basically the same thing to your point of base vanilla. Here comes the counter trade or Riggins or whoever. Yep. But it was at a different formations every week and the motion confused people. 
I love Bill Belichick, like literally called out the counter tray. And I'm like, yes, yeah. I know. I know he called out the counter tray. Yeah, which... we all, like, only Washington fans know, or I guess a right. lot of people know, but that's, we made it famous. I'll, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying that. Um, but the, the inability to like change on the fly, you know, I think one of the things I think that makes Gruden such a great coordinator is his scheme. So our first 15 plays a game are always very good. Absolutely. Um, you know, our two minute drills generally were pretty solid. Um, he, unlike Shanahan, would actually try to score with we had the ball at the 20 yard line with a minute and a half, right? Like a lot of that came from his confidence in his scheme. But back to like areas that, un, you know, un, I keep wanting to say undone, but undid him, if that's even a word, is like he keeps lamenting and the, the, everything I've read is he's like, oh, I never had my guys. I never had my guys. I never had Reed. I never had guys. I never had, you know, Trent's, well, Trent's never going to play for us again. Right. Rightfully so. The NFL, that, that happens. And you have to adjust as a coach and you have to scheme to the players that you have. And Jay never did that. He always ran his plays and he, it's like famous. Kime, all, John Kime always talks about he doesn't care who his quarterback is. He's going to run the same plays because he believes in them. And to an extent, he was, he was right. I mean, Keenum missed Trey Quinn the other day uh, in the – what game did we get smoked in? The Giants game. He missed Trey Quinn by a mile. We make two passes, and that game is totally different. It actually really is. But my point is, is like, he never adjusted to halftime, to week to week, to his players, anything. He was like, to your point, that's a round hole. Here's a square peg, and I'm going to figure it out. And there were games where we, we hit and things were great, but, like, that's never going to fly in the NFL, you know, ever. And it sucks. But, you know, he, his inability to adjust and – uh, his attention to details and things like that undid, you know, that's, that's why I think he's no longer a coach. You know, you could kill, say, let's say he, he can say, I never had the guys I had, or I never had the guys I wanted and whatever. And that's fine. But again, going back to the same concept we're saying over and over that like, I mean, think about it, 2014, this is another thing I'll go to my grave saying that he walked in, he's like, I see Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris is a leftover from the left last regime. And I'm going to go out of my way to make sure to alienate Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris was a back-to-back thousand yard rusher, right? He wasn't the most talented guy. He wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't the best athlete or talent in terms of the running back position. Shows you how good of a coach Kyle Shanahan is though. Exactly. Amen. Um, But nonetheless, he was still a productive running back and, Gruden did everything he could to push him out the door, you know, giving him less carries, basically saying he's not a scheme fit, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but you have someone who's proven he knows how to do it in a proven scheme, in a proven system. And what do you do? You go and change everything because it's not your way. And again, there, there's no coach in the NFL, not now and maybe not in history, who, who is Belichick. But I just using him as an example of the peak is that, okay, fine. You have players and every year – you know, they're not going to be the same. You're going to lose a Jordan Reed just like he lost Gronkowski and he was never the same for the last three years. You know, he's if, if you just look back at his 10 years of offenses, the way he's constantly evolved, and not only that, staying one step ahead, or the, the term I keep liking to use, is that when the NFL starts zigging, he's like, fuck it, I'm going to zag, right? Like, I love the fact people don't realize is that now everyone's going, trying to go air raid, four wide receiver, wide open, spread style offense. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go two tight ends and two running backs. I'm going to run it down your throat, right? Like, it's just staying one step ahead and figuring out, like, okay, you think this is the way we're going to go? I'm just going to go in the opposite direction. 
And I'm going to fuck with you that way. And I'm going to build my team that way. I'm also protecting my 42 year old quarterback, but that notwithstanding, like I'm just going to try to figure out with the pieces I have, he's not going to be like, well, my quarterback's 42 years old. And I, I, I'm, I'm stuck with that piece. He's like, all right, look, I got this guy. He's really fucking good in some cases, but how can I make the most of him? And I, and as we're saying, Gruden never really he actually did that. Pedestrian against the skins. Like the picky threw to Nicholson. The picky threw to Nicholson was tricky. Dirtiest back. secret of the second half of last year. Like I have had Brady on my fantasy team for a good amount of years of the last few years. And I so I've watched a lot of Patriots football as a result of this. And like the second half of last year, he was not good until the playoffs. He's kind of like uh you know, all the NBA players where they just dust them off. They, they mail in the second half of the season. They dust off the playoffs and flip the switch. That's what Brady did. The second half of last year, he was not good. He was yeah. not good. But <clears throat> back yeah, to Gruden. I mean, it, it sucks. I think he like the, the just inability to adjust was just, is astounding to me. Um, you know, you, you're talking about Belichick going with, uh, you know, two tight ends, two running backs, so the whole league is trying to spread out. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's very minor, but obviously we're since we're talking about adjustments, and this is a minor one, but this is something that like I never quite understood from Jay, his like inability to get away from this. We run the ball on first down like every single drive. We may be the most and predictable it, team in the NFL who uh, in yeah, terms of doing and that. It, and it averages like 1.5 yards a carry. And it got to the point where it's so bad that I actually agreed with Chris Russell on Twitter. Like, hey. <laughs> Like I can't stand that guy, and I was like, I was like, oh my god, Chris Russell is completely right because we run the ball every first down for a yard and a half. Then there's a holding call, and then we're forced to throw some. And I like, I can tell you what it is. Probably a screen pass to wide receiver, usually Crowder when he was on the team. Now we're running a little screen to to Thompson, and everyone's like, well, look how great Thompson's stats are. Thompson's stats are great because he's catching, you know, third and twenty passes and running for twelve yards. Twelve yards. Right? Yep. And, and like. It was so scripted and like we couldn't get away from it. And then my favorite whole part of this Callahan thing is he's like, we're going to run the ball more. I was like, great. Well, we suck at running the ball. So every coach says that too. I can't wait to lose the Dolphins. I'm going to be celebrating. Um, But it's a very minor, minor thing. But like teams knew we were going to run. Teams knew what we were going to do. And, you know, the adjustments with the defensive coordinator, you know, it was never going to fly. Go, he's going to go to Oakland or St. Louis and, or not St. Louis, uh, where are they now? LA. Uh, and scheme up probably some awesome passing game for those guys and get paid well to do it. But I can't yet. remember where I was. I think, I don't know if it was on Reddit or if I was on Twitter and I was reading something amidst the Browns carnage right now. And like, they're losing their mind just as much as we are. Cause you know, they were all off season hype and now they're, I don't know, one and three or two and two, or I can't remember what the record is. Yeah. Two and three. Thank you. After that, in that ugly, ugly loss, even though San Francisco is sneaky, kind of good. But um, after that, getting, you know, getting their ass handed to them on Monday night and some people were like, you know, who would be a really good coach? Jay Gruden. And I'm just sitting here laughing hysterically. And I'm like, you fucking got him in in, um, in Freddie kitchens. I mean, they're the same guy, man. Like, come on. Like, like, that's not going to fit the fact that, you know, Baker Mayfield spent the entire off season working on commercial endorsements instead of actually getting better from his rookie year. Like that's not going to solve anything and, you know, be careful what you wish for. But I just yeah. found that to be really, really funny. They were, they were, they were debating whether Mike McCarthy or Jay Gruden would be an upgrade. And I'm like, Oh Lord, this is where, this is the state of, of Cleveland again. I'm like, you know, you can, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to move on to, to Snyder now because I really want to talk about this press conference. Let's do it. Um, 
Uh, but, you know, I will say I'll go on record. Jay, if you ever listen to this and you want to drink beers, I'm guy. I've always wanted to just hear his war stories from behind those, those closed doors. So uh, one point of that, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, this is going back like, seems a like the man. Go, going back a decade ago, and um, I was in grad school. It was 2007, and full disclosure for if I alienate people, that's fine. I'm a registered Democrat. It is what it is. So we were talking about ah! my first year of my first year of grad school. I was made really really good friends with a guy who was a staunch Republican, and we left politics out of it. But we would always kind of like playfully banter. And I asked him, I was like, "How can you possibly support George W. Bush?" And you know what his answer was? He goes, "Because I really want to drink beers with that guy." He goes, yeah. "I bet it'd be awesome it's to drink real. beers with." Right? He would be. And every time you say that, it makes me, it, it, it brings me back to that. And I, and I think in many cases, it's great. He was, you know, Gruden was that guy, but I don't know if that was always the guy we want running the organization. But back to Snyder. Yes. He's not. He, I mean, he's not, but he's also not the problem. You right. Know? Far from. Like, it, you know, we, we alluded to the beginning. It's, if you follow the Redskins in the slightest, you know, it's not the problem. It, it starts with, you know, good old Danny boy who sits on his little high chair so he doesn't look short on TV. Uh, and the surrogate owner now, basically, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Allen. The fact that Bruce Allen was one that had, had that press conference is so, so outrageous. It, that should have been Dan. And my favorite – I mean, there, uh, I can't say my favorite line from his press conference because I liked a lot of them. But one of my favorite ones was when they were like, why is Dan not here? And he goes, because I am. Because I like am. You, yes. Like, fuck off, guy. Who do you think you are? Um, it was the most smug outpouring of like of douching liquid I think I've ever seen in a public scenario ever. Yeah, also looked hammered. Oh yeah, he was. I I can't remember somebody who said it, but he like he was five ways into a six pack of or five of pieces into a six pack of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't drink course, um, although I like it. Who drinks course? But I will drink it because of him. I like. It. Nope, can't do it. I like. I'm, I'm passing on all quarters just because Bruce Allen drinks it, or brushes his teeth with it. Excuse me. Um, the uh, yeah. So there, there's a lot of lines, right? And and so you're right. He's very smug. I I mean, he obviously was probably just really tired. But he, based off what we know about him, he seemed drunk at the at the uh, podium. The other line that got me is in the just the pure audacity of this dude. And obviously everyone knows what the, what the big line was. And I'm not going to the big line uh, that SVP picked up on and the whole world picked on. But one line that really got me is, um, I want to say it was Les Carpenter. Someone, kudos to the media, by the way. Media did a great job. They did a great job. Um, but it's sad when that's what we're thinking about of a freaking press conference. JP Finley had a, held, a, held his feet to the fire really well. Tom Fitzgerald, I think from Fox 5, brought a fire question. His question, like demanding BA apologize, that was so awesome. Is, so it's him. Yeah. So that's, that's the line I'm going to. Is yeah. like, and then this dude had the audacity to say, well, Skins fans put him up in New England bottom. Like, you're blaming us for not coming to these games. You're blaming us. Yep. You're the most loyal fan base in the, in the NFL. We had a season ticket list for two decades and you fired someone for saying that season ticket's gone or that the season ticket waiting list is gone and you're blaming us as the fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was... Are you kidding me? Dude, I was, that's like, the whole thing was a snooze fest to me. It was just Bruce being a politician. But when he said that, I literally just, I, I like looked at my, my colleague was uh, streaming uh, back in DC and we were slacking back and forth. And he's like, did he really just say that? And I was like, yes, he did. He blamed us for their problems. 
I mean, uh, come on. Oh, the, the first part, I think what really chapped my ass, even right before he made that statement about the Redskins fan selling on the secondary market, was when he said the fact that, like, when he was like, how can you justify, I think it was Tom Fitzgerald who said, like, how can you justify the stadium being 65, 75% uh, Patriots fans? And he started the sentence, I'll never forget, was saying, I actually, I appreciate the Patriots. Motherfucker, you're the president of the Redskins and you're saying you appreciate the other team coming in, bringing in this many fans to the other, to an opposing stadium. And like, you're commending them for coming and invading your house and like having their quarterback and their head coach gush about this being a home game. 500 miles away and you're talking about yeah. appreciating that like what a sham yeah newsflash bruce the cowboys did it the eagles did it the bears did it the patriots did it every other team that's coming here is going to do it all eight games are going to be away games we're in 16 away games a couple of years oh, ago well, I can't remember. it was maybe the, 15 because the dolphins game may not have a single person there you would never think a vikings fan existed outside of the state of minnesota and the vikings did it a couple of years ago when they were here like they overran the stadium like it's like every team does it i mean shit i wouldn't be surprised if the carol if the carolina panthers who have only been in existence for 20 years if 25 years i should say now if they came and they did it and like there's no such thing as a panthers fan 25 years ago they were redskins fans right? And they would probably do it. Anybody, shit, Jacksonville, who doesn't have fans, might do it at some point. Like, oh, all right. If they still had Bortles, I'd be rooting for Jacksonville big time. Um, <laughs> You're not buying into Minshew? I, I like Minshew, too. I do. I, they're both perfect quarterbacks for that team. The power uh, of the stash, man. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. In the, the jorts that he wore at the Washington State game the other day, just that guy's outrageous. And I'm all for it. Um, he is but the fact that he can play... Handle. Yeah, but the fact that he can play and we're not playing Dwayne, whole nother story in my book. Um, but yeah, so those are the big lines. The I it, I was so mad when he blamed us for for fans not coming to the game. I mean, that is worse. And the only credit you can give Snyder here is he inherited that. That is a glossed over fact from Jack and Cook. Is that stadium is actually Cook's money, not Snyder's. Uh, that's the only saving grace Snyder has with that dumpster fire FedEx field. But us not coming to those games is because of him, because of the shitty product he puts forward, because they sell skunked beer. They sell pe skunk peanuts that are like five years overdue. They, there's nothing there. It's pure concrete. And uh, nobody wants to go to the games because we are fucking awful. Um, and it's where Landover's what 40 minutes outside of DC. I mean, God, it's awful. So, um, I was going to say, I will respectfully disagree with the, with the one premise about him being inheriting the stadium. I mean, yes, he inherited. That is a lot. That is a fact. He inherited the stadium from the, from the cook estate. You can't question that, but let's not forget that that stadium was about 83,000 and change in terms of seating. Snyder pushed, he alienated the, the whole fan base. That's absolutely. But he pushed the, the, the seating up to 94, nine. I distinctly remember that number thinking that he could do it with the partially obstructed views and all of that crap. He tried to milk that asset and, the most Snyder way possible by, you know, selling a depreciated value item and trying to inflate it now to where the point where they've actually, I think dropped it down to 79 or 76,000 and fucking putting tarps over the, the seats to cover it all up. Like where the Jacksonville Jaguars just to make it look, you know, just to not reveal how bad of a situation we're in right now. Yeah. No, to I, tell I, you I agree, but that stadium was, was cook. 
And it is a dump. I mean, no one is denying the fact it is a dump. It's built poorly for acoustics. Like one of the reasons why CenturyLink in Seattle is so loud outside the fans that the Seattle fans who showed up. I went started. last Thursday. It is so loud. Right. I mean, outside oh, the ones, really? like they said, they, they showed up like 15 minutes ago to start rooting for the team. But the acoustics of the stadium this built one of those ways, like um, not to make this a Homer thing and sorry to rub it in, but like Lane Stadium down in Blacksburg, we only have 65,000 people. But like one of the things that the stadium is built, the way it's built, like it tunnels it's the sound down, right? straight downward. And like, that's why it seems much louder than like a stadium that'll hold 10, 15,000 more. And, you know, college scenarios are completely different, but I'm like, you know, the way FedEx is built, it just kind of shoots upward as opposed to RFK with only 55,000 people. And that place was a, you know, a madhouse. So the stadium's a big pile of shit. No one's denying that. But I mean, you know, we took a pile of shit and we have a pile of shit running it now. One thing that I want to make sure that gets stated um, from the department of, I have a friend who knows somebody who knows somebody. So right after, um, right after, right after Green got fired. Oh, it's not a hot take. This is a fact, or at least it's a hearsay fact. Um, A good friend of mine texted me. He goes, "Um, I know a guy who spent two summers on Snyder's boat uh, in the South of France. Right. So I didn't know Snyder's boat and I didn't know Snyder fucking vacations in the South of France, but that little douche, I'm not surprised he tries to do that to seem pretentious. And he goes, you would not believe that Snyder actually actively roots against the Capitals because he's so goddamn envious of the success that they enjoy and the fact that like their fan base is still so loyal to them. Because he actively roots against them because he's just so green with jealousy. You know, I've heard that before. Uh, I don't know where, but apparently when the Caps were making the run to the Stanley Cup, he was like losing his mind. Because, and I wrote about it for Halo District, like, I don't think, if the Redskins are good, we'll always be a football town. I think it's just too, is, is what it is, I think. But at this point, I'd also argue it may not always be that way anymore. Um, like, when the Cavs made that run, this town was, I keep saying this town like I still live there. D.C. was buzzing, right? And the Nats are, are now churning a little bit here. And they've had seven consecutive winning seasons. They're a very well-run franchise. Let Bryce walk, and we we won, I think, 11 more games this year than right. last year. Yep. Um, like, it's some of the parts with these guys. They keep churning out talent. They keep bringing out people. You know, they take care of their own for the most part, as long as they're not $330 million. Um, and then even the Wizards, like, I'm, I'm – you know this. I'm not the biggest Wizards fan in the world. If I had to root for an NBA team, they're obviously the ones I would choose to root for. But – one thing I, I do appreciate about Ted is after last, I think it was after last season when he finally fired Ernie, 16 years too late. Um, he came out and he was like, look, I've paid more attention to the caps. This is on me. He did a fucking interview. He was like, this is on me. And then he tore the whole thing down and took a long time. But you, I don't know if you read the article where he talked to like a hundred different people, Barack all the way to the top people, the Spurs. Like he talked to everyone trying to figure out what to do. And Knock now, on wood, but he's taken a really creative way to rebuild the front office. Right. And he's he trying, out, and he's he, taking ownership for it. I mean, bringing in fucking Sashi Brown, like, okay, you can say whatever he did with the Cleveland Browns or whatever, but it's thinking outside the box. It's not just hiring another Ernie. No. And my, my point is, is like, to, to your point of him getting pissed off of the Caps, like, he can be pissed all he wants, but these organizations are run. They're well run. And for the outside of the Wizards being just mediocre forever. The Cavs have been very good for a long time, a couple bad breaks, but now have a Stanley Cup. 
if the Nats win tomorrow, I will lose my mind. Like I am an avid Nats fan. Poor, my poor wife watches like a hundred games a year now. Cause <laughs> um, and it, to hear like what you just said and to hear hearsay from other, I think probably Twitter, like that he actively roots against these teams because it takes away from the Redskins. Well, newsflash, buddy, just fucking do your job and everyone will still root for you anyway. You don't have you're to. The problem. Like, you're, you're the problem. Like you're the problem. He's literally the problem. Yes. He's like a zit. I just want to like pop his head. I don't know where that came from, but that's, that's how I think of Dan Snyder. Going back to the SVP thing on, I, I forget what his segment is called. I can't believe it's one. I can't remember if it's one big thing or something to that thing where he does it on his, on his sports center um, uh, broadcast. Yeah, yeah, anchors. One big thing. And he called That's the great, Redskins. By the way, regardless of the Redskins, it's a great segment. Oh, it's a great. He's excellent. He is excellent. It's I mean, so uh, we're a little biased because he's a DC guy. At least I'm a little biased because of that, but he's still excellent. Even if he's, he's a Maryland he's, guy, he's, like, he's, he's, he's tremendous. But he called the Redskins a treadmill to nowhere. And I, you yeah. couldn't sum it up any better. Uh, sadly, sadly, we're both on that treadmill. <laughs> um, I don't know very much longer, though. Um, we have to you know, bring it up because you, you, you said you wouldn't, but I, I still have to bring it up for the sake of posterity. You know, the culture is actually really damn good over there. Oh, man. So bad. It's just, when, he said, when he said that, it, it wasn't even like a mouth-dropping statement. It was just like, a dude, how stupid are you? Yeah. Like, so... I alluded to this before we started this and I'm not going to get too much into it, but like, I think it's 40 plus people now have left that building outside of football for business reasons because the culture is quote so bad. And, you know, I know a lot of them or have at least worked with a lot of them and they all say the same thing. They're like, they're like, dude, it is worse than you could ever imagine. I've been in Ashburn and it's like walking on eggshells in that building all because of Bruce Allen, literally because of that single guy. I mean, Dan's the worst. LeVar today was talking about how people couldn't even look him in the eye and call him Mr. Snyder and all that, you know, bullshit that Snyder, yeah, that Snyder puts in there. But, like, we're never going to get rid of Dan. And, like, to see Bruce get up there, who shouldn't have been up there to begin with, to say our culture is good when, um, you know, we've won, like, 35% of the games that he's been GM and – 40 plus people have left the building because the culture is so bad because this guy just comes into work and fucking sits on his thumb all day and it's terrible at his job. He's an ass hat. Like the, don't tell me the culture's good. What a, and, and we're going to keep going back to SVP thing because it aired last night. He, he, he said, you know, they want to bring in a winning culture. And he was like, that's BS because this is the culture. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. It's not changing. As long as they're there together, it's not changing. And, if it's not Bruce Allen, Snyder's just going to go find the next yes man. We'll stand there and do it for him, just like Vinny and just like Bruce. We are screwed. That's the thing you come back to. Like, let's say, you know, I've always joked that, like, you know, if we, hire, if we fired Bruce Allen, somebody said this really well, articulated this really well. I can't remember if they were commenting on the Hill to this or Twitter. But they were like, you know, I've been alive to see three Redskins Super Bowls, and I've seen all three of them. And if Bruce Allen gets fired, it'll basically be our fourth. Right? Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, that's, I, I agree with that sentiment. I always joke that if Bruce Allen gets fired, it's going to look like this, the universal celebration of the return of the Jedi, like when Darth Vader dies and like the entire world or like the entire universe is celebrating. Like, I kind of feel like that's how Redskins, the Redskins fandom will, will react. But Snyder's just going to hire another matter. one. It doesn't matter. Like, he's just going to hire another one. And, and so when I think it was Edward or Adam Schefter or somebody kind of leaked this wish list of Mike Tomlin and 
Todd Bowles and Eric Bieniemy, And that's great. That's wonderful that he started thinking about this. And I, I, I'd be remiss not to mention that all three of them are African-American candidates. And it, there's an obvious marketing play there. And I'm not going to go down that hole. It is what it is. But still, sure. they're, they're all, you know, they all have ties. They're all ca- uh, capable in their own right. But what does it fucking matter, right? Like there's, the, there's a couple of people who are insiders who are claiming that Snyder's going to back up the Brinks truck for Lincoln Riley. I, I genuinely believe whether or not it'll get reported is an entirely different story that Snyder will at least try to place a phone call to Dabo Swinney and try to bring him here. I really believe that's going to happen. I don't think Swinney's going to pick up the phone and he shouldn't. He's going to be a god in Clemson and eventually at Bama when he decides to take that job when, when Saban retires. But don't you say that. It's it's gonna happen. I mean, it's just gonna happen. Oh. Um, he's biding his time over there until Saban retires. I mean, it's, it's no secret there. Anyway, well, as a as an ACC fan, actually, I hope that happens. <laughs> yeah, because it's gonna open up the door for the Clemson to shut on everyone else. But um, why? What what changes? Right? Let's say it's Lincoln Riley. Let's just shoot for the moon and say we pay Lincoln Riley fifteen million dollars a year to come here. What changes? You've still got Bruce Allen or some other crony of that nature running the organization. We talked about this in the preseason podcast where you have capable people like Kyle Smith at the top of the organization, and they're not going to get the power and the clout that they deserve, right? And so what, what's the point? I mean, there is no point. First off, uh, there's already a report that Lincoln Riley, even if he explores the NFL, will not even talk to the Redskins. Right, he's, and as he should. Because he's smart. Um, Mike Tomlin, you know, I kind of get it. I mean, Mike Tomlin has always. Me, me, I don't want to go on this road either, but I, I feel like that's that's a marketing play. It's a name. You're playing to the demographics. Um, I like Tomlin. He's a he went to he's a seven by seven guy. He went to William Mary, um, and you know he's won through Bulls. He's from a culture perspective, like really bought like the Steelers are him. Um, I've always have, wondered with Tomlin in Pittsburgh, if it's a chicken and the egg with the culture. Is the, it, did he put the culture or did he capitalize no, he on the culture? He, in, he inherited a good culture and he exactly. didn't mess it up. Yeah. Um, but point which, taken. You know, which is just as hard to do in a lot of ways because he's been there for so long. Because now, now I would argue it's, it's his culture now. Um, and he looks smarter by the day with the whole Antonio Brown thing. Um, yes. Uh, but then you have you have uh, the Chiefs guy, Bianami. Uh, What's his name? Eric Is that guy's name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go hire him. See what happens. Right. Dude's never been head coach, and he's going to come in your hot shot coordinator, and then not, or Allen's going to be like, "Hey, I got you this great quarterback. His name's his name's Colt McCoy, part de, whoever we freaking draft." And he's not even going to. And Dwayne by then will. We're not even in his second season, and the whole organization probably gave up on Dwayne already. We'll tank for two of but somehow we'll get the two number two overall picks. We don't even get him. You know, it it doesn't matter. I don't care who's in charge. I don't care who's our coach. As long as Bruce and Dan are sitting there drinking Coors Lights at 2 a.m. in FedEx Field after we get blown out by the Dolphins on Monday Night Football next year when they're, you know, making their turnaround. I don't know why I keep choosing the Dolphins probably just about to play them. Uh, it just doesn't – I don't care who our coach is. We had, we had Kyle Shanahan – Sean McVay and LaFleur all scheming up an amazing offense, and we went 3-13. Ryan Russillo tweeted out something right after the Jake Gruden thing, and he was like, if you're a Rams fan, you should be really worried about McVay going back to potentially taking the Redskins job. I'm like, are yeah, you right. nuts? I'm like, one, you're going to leave Southern California to go to 
uh, to go back to the East Coast, and two, you're going to leave the Rams to go back to the Redskins. I don't care how bad your quarterback situation is. I don't care the fact that you've got another 110, 100 left out of the 140 tied up in Jared Goff and that situation would be there. I don't care that your salary cap is going to be messed up in three years. I don't care that you're probably going to release Todd Gurley at the end of the year. Dirty secret, right? But you're still not going back to the Redskins and you don't think that that bridge is burned out of the way? Like, you, do you really think McVay is going to want to go back to that mess where like he's so revered by that organization right now? He would choose any of the other 30 remaining teams besides the Redskins. Yeah. We'd probably work for the fucking Bengals before he'd work for us. <laughs> it's so bad the my favorite tweet i've seen on the skin so far is is since we're playing the dolphins and i keep talking about them it's like the dolphins are trying to do this and the redskins are kevin clark trying to win. yes yeah, it's, it's like oh my god yeah he's like the only difference between the dolphins and the redskins is the dolphins they're admit they're tanking yeah that they're, they're trying to tank yeah <laughs> And that kind of leads me to that point. You, I alluded, you alluded to this a little bit with the Dwayne Haskins thing. The fact that the Redskins fans are already ready to write him off bothers me to no end. I, I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins is Ben Roethlisberger part two. I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins is Jamarcus Russell part two. I don't know what he is because he's never going to get his fair shake here. There is a real part of me that's starting to feel or buy into the fact that Dwayne Haskins could be Josh Rosen that he's just going to get ruined before he even gets a chance because of being put in such a piss poor or uh, situation to start off with and yeah. being caught in the midst of this. I think for one thing, there's another, another part that soapbox that I want to get onto. There's this whole segment of Redskins fandom who are like, if you don't support this team and you don't give it your all, you're not a real fan. That's the biggest crock of shit that I've ever heard in my entire life. Right. Like you really think that we're going (laughs) to, that we're going to do this podcast and we're going to run a site and all of these things because we're not real Redskins fans. Like that's literally no different than buying into fascist propaganda. When you're saying that like, no matter what the fucking state does, I'm going to buy into the state. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid. You know, we can't control. This isn't, this is a democratic country. If we don't fucking like something, we voice our opinions. And I know that, you know, you can't, God, unfortunately, we can't vote out Dan Snyder, but do something to show that like, look, I'm sick of what you're doing to this team. And the only way you can hit him is his pocketbook. That's the only way that that little shyster gives a shit about this team is to, is his, his money. Stop going to the games. The fact that there are Redskins fans to still go to the games and make these outings and pay him money to go see a F minus product kills me right? Why are you going? Stop selling your, stop going, stop selling your tickets, bleed him of the oxygen that he needs to survive. That's the only way things are going to change. That's it. Stop exchanging money. Stop paying for the parking over there. Stop buying for the rancid peanuts and the rancid beer. Stop spending your hard earned money on the paraphernalia of this team. Stop, just stop, right? Like if, if we really want to see a change, I don't want to say stop being a fan of this team, but stop being a fan while Dan Snyder's running it. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think we'll ever get rid of him. He's 54, 55, whatever yeah, he is. we talked about it before. He's not. I don't, uh, I've don't. i resigned that I'm not going to see a Super Bowl in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I've pretty much resigned to that as well. Also, the fact that my kids will probably grow up Seahawks fans. Yeah, um, sorry about that. Yeah, well, are you though? Uh, no. <laughs> that's how bad we are. Uh, the only – I don't know why I hold on to this because it's never going to happen, like literally – I don't even think it's possible to happen, but there's some reason that's the only 
hope I hold on to is like DC and the Redskins are such a prominent franchise um, that at some point, you know, are these owners going to step in and be like, yo, Dan, you need to fix this. Um, Because like no one comes to games, our ratings are tanking. I mean, the Redskins Cowboys game got worse ratings than the Bengals game in like DC. That is astounding. Um, You know, the, the hate that the organization has bred throughout the fan base is starting to come out. Um, You know, I don't think owners will ever intervene and say either fix it or sell a team. I don't think they'll ever happen. But like at some point the commissioner is going to have to be like, yo, you, you really take this. It, it was the easiest job in sports by the Redskins, keep them good. And you will make millions of dollars. He's still making millions of dollars or I guess billions of dollars at this point, but it's starting to show in his pocketbook in the sense that like we were, when he bought us, we were the, I think the most, valued franchise in. we were contending with dallas to be for the most or second most and now we're dropping into and the now we're like now we're like in the teens maybe not that far yet but like we are we are and snyder thinks that building another stadium will put him back him up there and that's why he's pushing so hard to get another stadium in the, which is a large reason why he's keeping bruce allen yeah and my hope is that that stadium will be agreed to soon which it won't be because bruce is messing that whole thing up too and no, the skins are so bad that Virginia, Maryland, DC don't want them. I guess Bowser kind of wants them because she wants yeah, yeah. all the teams because she wants all the teams in, uh, in the city limits. But like, well, they want to gentrify the city. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, but like, fucking Allen fucked that up too. And the only hope we have is for that guy to build the stadium. So he's gone. Yeah, there's got to be a stadium deal for him where he like gets the stadium built and he becomes part owner or some bullshit. Gotta like, there's got to be something in there. Or he has like some really aggressive pictures of Dan and he needs to release some stats. I just think Dan <laughs> Snyder wants, a, wants somebody to, to, you know, verbally, if not physically, fillet him. And that's what, what Bruce Allen is there for. I really, I really truly believe that. Serato did that and now it's Bruce Allen. And if Bruce Allen were to, you know, I don't wish for people to end their life, but if Bruce Allen were to not be on this planet anymore, then he would, Snyder would find someone else to do the same thing. Uh, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, I mean, it, it sucks that we have to get on here. We, we're starting to do this almost weekly. Um, and it always just comes back to the same talking points. And like, yeah. I really want to talk about, I want to talk about like Sims's run, the scheme. I want to talk about, you know, why haven't we given Scherf an extension yet? I want to talk about stuff that like foot matters from a football perspective, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we are going to, constantly suck you mean you don't want to talk about tanking for Tua (laughs) no although I want to tank for Tua because you know people will want that pick a smart organization trades Trent goes out in 16 and then trades that pick to whoever the fuck wants it you mean how many Redskins fans are thinking we should just go ahead and dump Haskins for Tua that too that's so dumb like idiotic uh, uh, we're so bad I said this in our in our season preview it's one thing um, I remember saying it it was probably two months ago at this point. Even when we stumble into something right, we fuck it up. Oh, yeah. We stumbled into Haskins. And you know what we did to support him? We alienated our, the best left tackle in football. That's how we gave Haskins support. The definition, Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. How is this different than RG3? It's not. Minus the like, fact that we're not going to go on a seven-game winning streak. 
Right. Outside of the fact that, yeah, there's not even going to be a magical moment of, you know, of how many games and at least taking us to the wild card and uh, beating Dallas on for the division title on Sunday night. We're not even going to have that. But how is this any different to what we did at RG3, right? Alienated an entire coaching staff because of the dissension between there because the owner favored one guy and the coaching staff didn't and the coaching staff said he wasn't ready. The only difference is that Dwayne Haskins' dad didn't come in and or Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins didn't come in and say you're going to stop running these plays because I'm Aaron Rodgers now after one good season. But that notwithstanding, it, it, it's the same thing. We've just done it over again. Right. One thing. One thing I'll say about Haskins: this whole narrative that he can't read defenses that has just since Jay's been fired popped up. Every single person, if you go and look at his like NFL combine and scouting report and all that fun stuff, everyone said his strength in college was reading defenses and, and changing blitz pack or uh, protection at the line of scrimmage. I'm not going to go as far as some people have accused of saying that's a racial dog whistle. I'm not going to go that far. I think it's just pure and simple ignorance. To the point we hammered home earlier, not to use the term. I think Gruden. I think Gruden said something to Diana, and she's just running with it. I think. I think the people who like to take things as a dog whistle are going to take that as a dog whistle. I don't think that that's where that's coming from. I think that's very much the same thing we talked about that Gruden is going to do whatever quarterback. It could be me or you, or it could be Colt McCoy, or it could be Aaron Rodgers. You got to run Gruden's system, right? You got to run, you got to run Gruden's system and Gruden's never going to tailor it. I think that uh, the fact that gets overlooked among so many people for to confirm Kyle Shanahan's brilliance is what he did do with Griffin in 2012. The NFL hadn't seen the pistol offense at that time. It was completely no. unheard of. And we basically brought Baylor's, built, built Baylor's system over here and got it to work with a seventh round draft pick running back running for 1800 yards or whatever he did that year. And Griffin being basically unstoppable. Right. But what's the whole point of this? He adjusted the system. I think that is the crux of the issue that just people are overlooking. Gruden didn't want to at least fine. If, if Haskins is not as good in your eyes as reading defenses, make it easier, simplify things, cut the field in half, you know, make the reads easier, run screens all day, do something, but don't just demand that he walks in and from day one, he's speaking English and day two, he's got to start speaking Cantonese. Like it's not going to work. You got to have a transition. Well, it doesn't – my – I mean, we, we could harp on this and we'd probably wrap up soon. But the – to that point, obviously he went down with Colt. We brought that up early on. That was his guy. Colt knows the system in and out. And you know what You know what that results in? Lame duck picks to the defense at like two times a week. I mean, the Colt's pick at the end of the first half, I mean, dude, like I, I don't care if you can read defense. I don't care if you know the offense. Like those are just passes you can't make. The only way Dwayne's going to learn is him to play at this point. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave it at this. I don't care when he plays. I don't care if you think he can read a defense. I don't care if he can read a defense. The only way he is going to get better, because everyone's like, oh, he's only played 13 games or 14 games in college. The only way this guy gets better and understands the speed of the NFL is if he's back there playing. And if that means he hands it off 40 times a game and throws a 10, fine. He's just got to be there. If that's – 15 screens to Thompson so we can keep the stat where he's got 12 yards per reception. Fine. But he's got to play because like next year he's starting, whether you like it or not. And if he doesn't play, then the narrative is the exact same next year. Well, he's only played 13 games, so we'll see how it goes. That's a new coach. He sucks again for the second year because he's never played before. And the second year of the coach in his third year, he's already ruined because people are like, well, you're a bust. Sorry, I, that's my right. to, no, to that latter point, I, I think there's, that's kind of where my head is at right now, that I think at this point, 
you have to start Haskins because it's more toxic if you don't start him. Like, because to. if you don't start him now, then the question, there's more tension in the room. Why aren't you starting him? When are you going to start him? Are you starting him because he's or not starting him because he can't play? Are you not starting with a bust? Are you hiding a secret? It's just one of those things. Like, I think to a large extent, I wouldn't be surprised if the Redskins in the next month won a game or two that they're not supposed to, almost off the relief of firing Gruden. Because it's like, finally, you let the air out of the stale fart in the room. And like everyone, there's a sense of relief. And I feel like that's the same thing that we're going to get with Haskins. That at some point, you just have to let the tension out and just say, fine, you want to start Haskins? Let's start Haskins. We're 0-5. We're the second worst, if not worst, team in the NFL right now. Those are undisputable facts. Right? So at this point, and I was coming from the person who said we should not start Haskins. Okay to start the season at this point there's nothing to lose at this point there's nothing to lose anymore at this point it is purely an evaluation stage right there's no point worrying about whether he's going to get his brain beaten behind the offensive line because you know what he's going to get his brain beaten behind the offensive line but at least see what you have can he overcome that there's no i think at this point now you're going to do more damage from the media the pressure the scrutiny the fans everything else by keeping him back right you're just going to create a more toxic situation yeah no i i agree i think especially with the Dolphins, just put them out there. If we lose, who cares? Um, you know, I, we're going to roll with cold again. It's going to be the same old dud, you know, offense, whatever it is. I told you beforehand, uh, my buddy, I think it was Jason. I'll give you a shout out, Kiska, if you're listening, um, that the tickets to the Miami Zoo are more expensive right now than Miami Redskins games. Like, no one's going to watch. Just put him out there. He throws three picks. Who cares? You know how bad golf was his rookie year? You know how bad Troy Aikman was his rookie year? You know how bad Peyton Manning was his rookie year? Like, these guys all just played, and they sucked. And, like, yeah, there's, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers set. Oh, Pat Mahomes set. Like, there's no rhyme or reason behind what's going to happen. So, I agree to your point. Just get him in there. Let him play. And, like, the longer he sits there, the more of a distraction it remains. And, That's my concern. You know, and, like – my concern is we don't play him in next year. The same things that like, oh, the game's too fast for him. Well, no shit. He didn't play him at all last year. Jared Goff was exactly the same point. Jeff Fisher was too much of a Neanderthal to understand that you need an offense that was catered to his strengths. And he played into an air raid and he may need a little bit of a transition. Jeff Fisher tried to put him into a 1973 offense. And that's why you're in also in a really, really bad team. And that's why Jared Goff struggled. Imagine when you put a smart guy in offense, a smart offensive guy in offensive mind running his offense and look what happens. They're fucking night and day. I'm not saying Jared Goff is a good quarterback. I'm just saying Jared Goff's a lot better quarterback with Sean McVay than he is with Jeff Fisher. And I think that's where we're at with Dwayne Haskins right now. Let's end it on this point. Do we beat Miami? Ooh. Uh, Damn it. (laughs) Uh, I, I picked us to beat the bears on Monday night football. Because at the time, I just I believed in my heart of hearts we were better than what uh, what we were showing, and we sh- I still think we probably should have beat him. Um, I'm gonna say we lose. Uh, it's I just I think it's in Miami, right? It's in, it Miami. in Miami. So you got the Heat. Um, we're gonna run the ball 40 times uh, for, for about for 60 yards. Um, you know, I think Josh Norman's gonna get beat by somebody. And ironically, I'm just – I'm kind of excited to see Rosen beat us because uh, we refused to trade for him. Yep. Um, and Josh Rosen revenge so, game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we lose. Going on record. 
Oh, it's 16. Look Here at us go. turning the tables. I'm saying we, and I'm not, this is not a homer. I'm not uh, cautiously, I'm not optimistic. I don't believe anything has changed over there. I'm saying we pull out the win from the relief standpoint. I, I, I call this, it was a couple oh. of, two, two, three years ago, um, it was, it was uh, Joe Philbin, one of the worst coaching hires of God knows how long. And they started this, Miami started the season 0-4, whatever. And then they put in overmatched Dan Campbell. He was the tight ends coach as the interim coach. And they won like three of their next four games. And it was just simply because everyone knew Joe Philbin was just this old shuffleboard grandpa who had no business being the coach in the first place. And eventually they got rid of him. It got, they couldn't deal with it anymore. I think it was their hard knock season when Dolphins were on hard knocks and they won three or four games. It's just that, that interim coach bump. And I'm saying we get the interim coach bump is the only reason I believe that we're going to win this game. I was really open. Rob Ryan, Baron coach, just to see. Rob Ryan coach coaching this team would have been just so poetically amazing. Oh God, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> he was, was um, he, no, no, was it, his brother has the foot fetish. Rob yeah, Ryan was right, the one who I think right, had, had nudie photos on his play calling sheet though, which I thought was pretty awesome. I mean, that guy's gut is legendary. <laughs> um, Him and the old offensive Browns, uh, offensive line coach for the Browns. They, th- those guys are. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going on record say we lose. Uh, I will. This is a game I probably will watch, uh, but not for the sake of the game. I just kind of want to see what happens. Yep. Um, like, are we going to come out and be awful? Are we going to come out and be good? Are we going to like? There's there's enough mystique behind this game that I will watch, but I still think we will lose because the, the Dolphins low key have started to play a little better and a little better and a little better and a little better. Um, and I think they beat us. Plus, they're coming off a bye week. There you have it. Opposite sides. We have turned 180 on each other. Um, that's how screwy this season has gotten so far. So we'll leave it at that. Hopefully, we're talking about something other than how much we hate Snyder or even if it's just lipstick on a pig or rearranging the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. We're talking about a win next week. Um, Thank you so much for everyone who's made it this far into the podcast. As I say every time, if you haven't done so already, please make sure you follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, Subscribe to us on iTunes and all the other places where you get your podcast access. So until then, we will talk to you next time and later. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.